In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Friends, hey, welcome to The Counter. Chris Corman here, joined by Stephen Ruiz as usual. Stephen, what's going on? I'm not friends with them. Don't don't put don't put that on me. These are our friends. <laughs> this is this is our our lovely listeners. <laughs> no, really I do awesome. I do love them. Yeah, exactly. So, week five, heading into week five of the NFL, we have a lot to discuss. <laughs> a lot that a lot that we're going to get into. Um, we are going to. Look at Tom Brady. Steven's going to admit he's wrong, which uh, he actually does a lot. He's, he's a very gracious person who uh, lays down a lot of takes and is very quick to correct himself. But I still like to gloat over whenever he does it. Um, and but we are going to break down Tom Brady. Steven has got a good look at the film, the numbers, and explain how Brady is thriving in Bruce Arians' offense and how it's changed a little bit. Uh, but only in how it's being run, not not the structure or any of that. It's just a different guy driving it. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll get into that. It's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about Bill O'Brien finally being fired by the Texans and what the future of that franchise looks like. And then we are going to dig back in on the Patriots Chiefs. That was what we previewed last week was – uh, how Bill Belichick had built a secondary uniquely suited to try to deal with the Chiefs' uh, dynamic offense, all the different weapons they have. And though the Chiefs ended up winning, and winning by a score that may make you think otherwise, this game actually was the one where New England really showed that they have uh, they, they have a unique ability to slow down the Chiefs. Uh, so we'll go into the film on that a little bit. we got our fantasy segment with Charles Curtis, like we do every week, and then we're going to look ahead. Not a lot of great games this weekend, um, and one of the better ones may be canceled by COVID or moved by COVID. Uh, we're waiting to find out, but we will take a look at those and Stephen will give you some picks against the spread. But first, let's dig in on the COVID situation in the NFL. Uh, you know, as you guys know, the Tennessee Titans have been the epicenter of a COVID outbreak. Their game with the Steelers was moved until later in the season. So they had a bye week. Uh, and then Wednesday of this week, it looked like it sounded like everything might be heading in the right direction. Uh, the There were supposedly no positive tests coming out of the Tennessee Titans. And then today, I think Adam Schefter originally broke the news that uh, there was a positive test. And not only that, but a test from Wednesday that was inconclusive also came back positive. So now the Tennessee Titans season is again in limbo. And we're getting news that the Titans were, even though they the, the facility had been closed and the players were instructed not to 
gather in any way, shape or form. So as to prevent the continued spread of COVID, the players did gather for workouts at a high school in Nashville. Uh, So this is continuing to spread. And then the Patriots was the other team that had a COVID positive player. That was Cam Newton, obviously, who missed uh, the Patriots game against the Chiefs. It turns out that Cam Newton may have spread it too. It appears he had dinner with star cornerback Stephon Gilmore on Friday night, and Gilmore is now positive. Gilmore, of course, was seen uh, post a game with the Chiefs getting very close to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so this is now where we are. We don't, as far as we know, the the Titans uh, Bills game, which is scheduled for this weekend, is still on, but it could be moved to Monday or Tuesday, which would then necessitate probably the Bills Chiefs game moving and that game could move to Saturday, uh, which is still probably too tight of a turnaround. So this thing, this it's it's still fairly limited in scope, all things considered, but it's certainly becoming a little bit of a disaster at this point. Yeah, uh, I think this has really exposed the NFL's lack of preparation. And I think we were too quick to give the NFL credit for getting the season started on time. That it really doesn't go to the NFL. And it clearly was because of the players did their part and they stayed, you know, which I mean, I don't blame anyone that gets infected. It's very hard to avoid this, this right. virus, but I think all the credit went to the, pl- should have gone to the players because the NFL wasn't really tested and they're getting tested now. And I think they're failing this test. And the first big one to me was what to do with the Chiefs Patriots game. And I think a lot of people said it before the game even happened. Like there's, they should not be playing this game. Like they're taking a risk, an unnecessary one. And I I know I tweeted that out and I didn't really think anything was going to come of it. But then it turns out that Stefan Gilmore was playing with COVID and he was talking to players from the other team. So it was clearly a mistake on their part. And there was no way to justify playing that game other than we have these games on the schedule. We need to play them because we need to make money. And I, it's just frustrating if not. It's not surprising, but it is frustrating that the NFL like continues to say they care about players. But it's very clear that they don't care about players. Right, right. And, you know, the, it just seems like the NFL is it's all about liability and sort of checking off boxes. You know, mm-hmm. the NFL has that was all we heard going into the to the the Monday game. You know, the, so the, the Patriots Chiefs gets moved to Monday like, well, they tested them on Saturday. They tested them on Sunday. They tested them on Monday. Like, oh, we, we tests. We test, test, test. But like <laughs> that's not the disease incubates. You know, that's right. not it's not how it works. It, it can't be it can't be. Uh, detected before it's there, and but it, you, the player could then get it later that day and right. start spreading it. Uh, and, the, yeah. and the Titans were still getting new positives while they made this decision. It wasn't even like this was the first time they had to deal with this. Like they had a test subject in the Titans who had people test positive on Saturday, right. and they were getting those same people that were being tested were getting negatives and then getting positives like three days later. So how can you be confident in the testing on like, say they tested all the the whole team on Sunday or Monday morning. That doesn't mean that people are going to be negative by kickoff Monday night. Right. Right. Uh, You know, if I believed in like fates or gods or any of that, if I believed in anything at all, I would say that uh, the whoever lords over the NFL was just challenging Bill Belichick by giving, by getting his, 
two best players sick, <laughs> but I, I only really believe in science. Uh, and so I think the science shows us that Cam Newton and uh, Stephon Gilmore got together for dinner. And yes. that's uh, that's not good, but that it also spreads. Uh, there is a Patriots practice team player who got it, uh, which shows you. And again, we don't know. I mean, we don't know if he got it from Newton or Gilmore or got it somewhere else. Got You know, you don't. We, we can't know any of that, but uh, it's just very hard to spread. That's why the suggested CDC guidelines are that if you've been if you've been in contact with someone who has it, you quarantine for 14 days. Uh, and the NFL is just at this point completely flaunting that. Uh, and as many have pointed out, it perhaps it should not be a surprise that a league run by 32 billionaires, a vast majority of whom have donated to Donald Trump would follow the lead of the president of the country in how they're dealing with this. But, uh, you know, it, it, it does not seem like a sustainable plan as far as there's no, there's no buffer built in for the league to, to move these games around. I mean, are we really going to ask the bills who are in the middle of a, uh, you know, the bills, first of all, don't even have a positive, but they are going to be impacted by this. It looks like, uh, and if the bill, by the way, if the Titans game didn't get played, the bills players would also not get paid. So now the bills players have to weigh, like, should we play against the Titans who have, I think it's 13 players who've tested positive and the bills are going to Nashville to play the game. So the bills players have to weigh this like, okay, we've got, they want to play because they want to get paid and they want to play because they want to continue having a good season, but there is some risk. And then we're going to ask them to play either Monday or Tuesday and then play again on a Saturday night, which, you know, we're just sort of kicking everything down the road without, any larger plan as we go and, and that uh, lack that lack of like a buffer period that they could have used to play these games i think that should have been the first sign to us that the league was ill-prepared like we should have realized when the schedule wasn't altered at all like why are you still playing thursday night games if you know that it's possible that a team could get an outbreak all of a sudden like on a monday and they would, might be scheduled to play thursday and you would have really no time to figure out what was going on and who's positive, who isn't and control the thing that should have been the first clue. And then the fact that we don't have this, this two week break or, or however long it should be to play games that they're going to miss that, just, uh, that makes it seem like the league assumed that they weren't going to miss any games and the schedule was just going to go off without a hitch. Right. Right. Uh, Henry McKenna, our colleague uh, who covers the Patriots very closely at Patriots wire and the NFL for us has written a take today suggesting that the NFL just needs to kick the playoffs back. Just say, we're going to start the playoffs a little bit later. Um, and then they have some weeks to play with, right? Like that gives them a little bit more leeway to move these games instead of, you know, with the, with the uh, Steelers and, Titans game, they had to adjust teams by weeks. So the Ravens had to switch their bye week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, it didn't have huge uh, ramifications. And it feels like the NFL planned for that. You know, I think they were strategically planning where the bye weeks were and are hoping right. that they can make it work. But it's, but uh, the pace we're at right now does not feel like that's sustainable. And 
the playoff moving thing, like it's obviously not ideal, right? Like you don't want to start the, I mean, imagine wildcard weekend being in mid to late January. And then the green Bay Packers are hosting the NFC championship in February in <laughs> green Bay. Like that's obviously a disastrous situation if, if things are normal, but things are not normal, right? Like right. We, just, we just watched the NHL and NBA have a four month break in their season <laughs> and come back and figure out a way like, the NFL, it may just have to look different. Like, right. you know, they may have to just play that game at a dome in Indianapolis or and, wherever. And the way they set, but the way they set up the schedule, how you, you kind of alluded to it, how they kind of scheduled it so they could be a little bit more flexible. But it seems like the way they did it assumes that this was only going to last a week if it popped up for a team. <laughs> and that's obviously not the case with the Titans. We're going on week two. And it's not like there weren't signs that this could happen like just look at baseball with like the marlins and cardinals i didn't they just like stop playing for like two weeks straight right yeah they had to they had to totally adjust things um so i don't know i mean it's it uh it it at, at best it's just very precarious i mean it just seems like the nfl is barely getting by and as you said you know, the, the credit belongs to the players, but now the league is also, instead of coming up with new plans, the league seems intent on punishing players mm-hmm. uh, and, and using that as a way, you know, the introducing new rules and punishing teams too, which puts the pressure on the teams to put pressure on the players. Um, but, you know, the, instead of coming up with something that deals with the reality, they are trying to shape the reality of life in a pandemic and forcing these players to stay even more locked down than they already are. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> it, it, like, like you opened up. I mean, I think we've been amazed that they got as far as they did without more positive cases. But now that we are rolling into the season and you predicted this, that it would just be harder. You know, these uh, once, once the season starts and players are in that rhythm and they're living at home and they're, there's just so many contact points for an NFL player. And there's so many people in an NFL facility. Like, and that's another thing we need to keep stressing here is that we're not just talking about millionaire athletes. We're talking about all the support people who are around them. We're talking about the people flying the planes. We're talking about people driving the buses. Uh, you know, there's somebody had to drive a bus that was like, Hey, these are the 20 Patriots who might be infected. <laughs> Good, good luck driving this bus, you know? Um, it's like goddamn Con Air with the, yeah. the COVID plane. <laughs> it's, yeah, instead of snakes on a plane, it's a virus on a plane. <laughs> They're just hanging out. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's very precarious. Uh, you know, certainly as people who write about the league, we sure hope football continues to go on. But... It's there's not a, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in the planning that's going on right now and, and how things are being run. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to kind of have to see how it plays out. Uh, but I mean, player player safety is, is by far not at the top of whatever decisions are being made at this point. It's just it's and, and that's the NFL. You know, it's not it's nothing yeah. new. The NFL has been brutal to players for, <laughs> for decades now uh, with only passing. Uh, you know, pa- a passing notion that that should really matter. You know, a lot of a lot of PR sheen that put on to make you think that they that the owners care, but it is 
now, having said that, let's sweep all that under the rug and talk some football. <laughs> let's let's dig in on the film. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk about this 43-year-old who uh, has made it through because he's a quarterback and uh, doesn't get doesn't get hit every. Yeah, how many linemen do you think have played for? protected Tom Brady. Oh, God. They only got three three or four years in the league and made, you know, a total of a million dollars, and now they're debilitated. It's kind of like like how, like, royal royalty have, like, the body doubles that go out in public. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's about it. Uh, but, yeah, let's talk about Tom Brady because this is, this is interesting, and this is, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to take a look at – Things we wondered about all summer, and we did. We I don't know how many times we talked about on this show, but but wondering whether Tom Brady would be a fit in Tampa Bay, and just because Bruce Arians has a unique uh, NFL offense, Arians is a highly respected coach, does a great job, uh, and but he he has not adjusted his offense a lot. He's run the same thing with Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer, Jameis Winston last year. I mean, Arians has his stuff and he does it. He's not. He's also guy. never really had to considering the, who those quarterbacks are. Right. Right. Those are, he, he has had some good quarterbacks. Um, so we wondered if he would find, if he would have a different idea with Tom Brady coming in. And now uh, we've, we've had enough sample size. And I, I actually want to read the uh, beginning of Steven's piece on this, uh, which you'll find at For the Win, FTW.com. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. Yeah, I am. Uh, headline, Tom Brady obliterates the system QB label by thriving in Bruce Arians' demanding offense. So here's Steven. Do you remember when idiots were wondering how Tom Brady would fit in the Buccaneers' offense and how those same idiots questioned if a 43-year-old Brady possessed the physical ability to operate Bruce Arians' downfield passing scheme? Remember when they wondered aloud if the Bucks had actually taken a step back at the position by replacing Jameis Winston with a quarterback who was clearly in decline? Well, if you don't remember them, it's nice to meet you. I'm them. I'm idiots. And I'm here to graciously accept my L just a month into the season. Uh, yeah, that's this is one of your better leads ever, I think. And you've, you've written quite a few leads for, for the win. Um but go into it. Tell me what you saw, you know, as you I, and I, we've been tracking this from day one. And we had a couple shows early in the, the year where we we're like, oh, Brady's not throwing the ball downfield. What's going on? Like, this does not look good. He's not getting it. And the reason this show is called The Counter is because we we sort of develop ideas like that. And then we dig deeper. And a lot of times it's not what we think. I thought we called it The Counter because it just made the logo look a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, little... well, that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you did, you did want to make a logo with a, with a cool play on it. So, yeah. But... So that made it easier, but uh, yeah. And one thing I really didn't get into in the article is that Brady, I still think is the same player he was in new England last year where he's having, he's still not precise on those underneath routes. And we've talked about this a lot. Like, those routes that he used to really kill defenses with, like I'm thinking about like the quick hitch routes outside right. the numbers. And that had been a problem with him in new England the last couple of years. And I still think it's a problem. Like I had a couple of clips and I was going to do a cut up and in, include it in the post. I just didn't find a, a good natural spot to put it, but there are plenty of examples of him missing easier throws underneath. And then 
the vertical throws downfield, I do think he's better at it, but the ones outside the numbers, I still think he has a problem with. He's missed some of those. He's been better at more like seam routes and and vertical routes more closer to the middle of the field, but the the perimeter ones are still giving him trouble, and that was always a problem in New England. There was a couple years where he kind of figured it out, but it became a problem again. And I still think those are issues with him, and I think those are signs of a 43-year-old declining. But all the other throws that this offense demands, and I and there are a lot of them. I think he's making them. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised just because he wasn't making them in New England. They're just they just weren't there to make in New England. Right. But the yeah. few and far the few times there were, he made those throws, so maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. Right, right. Yeah, I think that we sort of looked at this change. Uh, you know, I think that the na- the national narrative obviously when Tom Brady became a free agent and was picking where to go was like, "Oh my gosh, one of the one of the, you know, the GOAT players ever in the NFL at any position and certainly one of the top quarterbacks is going somewhere new and where's he going to end up? Like, you know, it was just sort of like, oh, he's he's one of the best ever. So they were sort of looking at that and we were looking at it as like, well, wait a minute. Like he's probably there are a lot of things about him that at age 43 are diminished compared to Jameis Winston. So is this really an upgrade? And then we started thinking about it as, well, wait a minute, he's not going to throw those bad interceptions. And those interceptions put Tampa Bay's defense at such a, you know, in such a bad position as far as starting field position that maybe just that, maybe that conservativeness will be enough to push Tampa ahead. But what I think you found is that even to a further level, uh, Tom Brady, I mean, he's just a little bit more conservative than Jameis Winston, which is mm-hmm. uh, feels like an obvious thing to say. But now the numbers bear it out. His time to throw is 2.59 seconds, whereas Winston waited a little bit longer, 2.77 average. So Brady is is more decisive. But it, and then his average depth of target is a little bit less, 8.6 yards compared to 10.5 for Winston. So he's not throwing downfield as, as far downfield. Tight window throw. His is 12.9. Winston was trying 16.8 percent of the time. So, you know, Brady is just sort of like I said, he's running it more. He's just running it in a, in a more conservative way. He's just not taking as many risks across the board. And then, but, but it's still the same offense. He's just doing yeah. it a little differently. The same, the concepts, the formations, they're all the same. All the Bruce Arian staples are in there. There are not a lot. I haven't seen any really like Patriots type stuff in there at all. Right. So this isn't even like a Peyton Manning situation where there's kind of a mix of philosophies going on. It's just Tom Brady accepting this new offense and playing in it and following it like it's supposed to be. But I will say there, there that's one area where he needs to grow. Um, Bruce Arians probably isn't going to say it publicly, although who knows with him, but he's leaving a lot of downfield opportunities on the field. Like there are, I only included one in the post, but there are several of them. And sometimes it helps in some, like, Sometimes it helps to keep the chains moving. You don't get into third and long, but you're still giving up some big plays. And that is probably going to become an issue when they're playing better teams, when they're not playing the Broncos with Jeff Driscoll or, I, oh, sorry, Drew Locke. Uh, <laughs> but and by the way, that meme has gone national. It went national on Thursday. Uh, and now I'm, I'm going to retire it because it's, it's no longer cool. Yeah. I, I the, the Drew Locke meme is done. You, but you don't, you don't want to sell out, man. Don't become a sellout. Right. But yeah, he's he's just throwing he's throwing to his backs more. It's right. like like a third more than Jameis Winston did last year. He's throwing underneath more. Like he's not really giving plays the time to develop. 
And I will say this. I do think his job is easier than Jameis Winston's job because he's getting a lot better pro- uh, protection from his offensive line. And, and I mean, I thought the protection would look better because Tom Brady gets rid of the ball quickly, but it's not just that. Like the, We have stats that separate how the offensive line is uh, protecting from how the quarterback is getting rid of the ball. Like ESPN's uh, pass block win rate stat right. aims to do that, and they're a top 10 unit right now. And you could see it on film. Like He has all day to step, in the po- uh, step up in the pocket. He has time to look downfield, and he's not always taking advantage of it. So in that area, I, I don't think he's totally thrown himself into this offense and he's acclimated himself into the offense. But as far as the concepts, the downfield concepts, he's making those throws. He's making those reads, which isn't surprising because I don't think Bruce Arians offense is terribly complicated. I think it's more complicated from uh, not a communication standpoint, but the receiver and the quarterback being on the same page. And that's why you tend to see a lot of interceptions. Right. Uh, I want to be a little careful here uh, just because there there is evidence that Brady is not as good at throwing downfield. And so therefore, this offense is not going. I mean, it's not functioning, I think, at full, full power because so, you know, you have a chart. So first of all, this post, by the way, I really, you should go look because Steven does a lot of film breakdown. He's really laying it out. He's showing you the routes that they're running. I mean, he's, he's uh, it's all laid out in the post. So it really explains to you how this offense has not been adjusted to Brady um, and sort of shows you how he's running it. But but then there's a chart here that is showing different types of routes that these guys are, are throwing. And Brady's numbers on uh, deep in-breaking, deep out-breaking, and deep vertical are uh, a little bit lower uh, than uh, in, in a lot of cases. You know, he's he's making on-target throws on uh, – actually, so his in-breaking is better. His on-target throw percentage yeah. is better than Winston. Uh, but out-breaking, he's only completed one out of five attempts. And deep vertical – He's also thrown two interceptions on those. Yeah. Um, and then his deep vertical is 54, which is about where Winston – and he's he's thrown 12 deep verticals. So he's he seems okay throwing deep if it's straight down the field, essentially. But the in-breaking and out-breaking, he has been reticent to throw. And Winston threw those at a much higher rate. I think mm-hmm. uh, Brady is – what, he's at 12, so that's – uh, three a game is that right? And Winston yeah. was probably Winston was probably throwing seven or eight a game, and he, and Winston he had positive EPA, so expected points added per attempt on those. He had positive EPA for all of those, three point four for the in breaking, point five for the out breaking, which is a huge number, point three one for the deep vertical. So he you know he was doing good things on all those, and Brady is not anywhere near those. He's negative EPA for in breaking. So, you know, he's not it's it does. He does have to make up for he has to be more efficient in some of this other stuff he's doing to make this offense really work. Right. Like if if this is really going to make that step. And I will say this. uh, I think Arians is more comfortable getting more receivers out into the route. Like, I do think he has more opportunities to throw underneath and check it down to his back where and I didn't I didn't really look at this too in depth, but just glancing over the film when I was watching Winston, a lot of the times his back would stay in the block. Whereas that back is getting out into the flat quicker with Brady. And I think that has to do with Arians being more comfortable 
with Brady kind of getting through his reads quicker and hitting that check down, whereas Jameis might hold on to the ball a little, little bit longer, right. wait for someone to get open downfield, and then get sacked. Mm-hmm. So he's, he was choosing protection over receivers out into the route, whereas with Brady, he can get those guys out to the route because he knows Brady's going to utilize him. So I do think that's one – I think that's the one schematic change that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. But that's not changing the the overall look of the offense. It's still the same downfield routes. It's just that there are more check down options that Arians is giving his quarterback and Brady is taking advantage of those. And you mentioned the, the average depth of target numbers, how there's – a significant gap between Brady's and Jameis's last year. But when you take out running back targets, like it gets a lot closer. So when Brady does throw to those receivers, he's throwing downfield. Right. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's interesting. It bears watching. I mean, cause it is, as we talked about, it's, there's no, no regular off season. Brady's going into this offense. It's different. I mean, he is going to grow into it. And we, uh, you know, we are seeing that he has the arm and the timing to make some of these throws. Uh, so maybe some of those numbers that I just recited will go up as the season goes on and he becomes more, more comfortable. Um, because everything in the NFL goes back to the Patriots. Let's uh, move on to a former Patriots offense coordinator who is now, a nothing. He's he's got no job. Bill, Bill O'Brien, who uh, had consolidated power in Houston, he had fifteen jobs, and now yeah. he's here. He had, too, he had too many jobs. He did too much, and now he is doing much less. Uh, he was fired by the Texans after uh, after the zero and four start to the season, and the immediate takeaway from this is that Bill, Bill O'Brien has this franchise in a pretty bad situation. Uh, there's lack of Early draft capital for the upcoming draft. The cap isn't in is in a pretty messy space. I think they're projected to have something like negative twenty seven million dollars mm-hmm. available next year. Um, but as you pointed out in a post uh, after this news broke, this team does have the one thing that is the start is the number one thing that every franchise looks for when they begin to try to ascend toward the Super Bowl, and that's a, a true. Uh, franchise quarterback, a guy who can carry a team. So what what do you think about this job moving forward? I think it's a good job. I think Deshaun Watson makes it a good job. He's the only reason it is a good job. And like I see people point to the, the draft picks, but the draft picks are only a problem next offseason. The year after that, they have all their picks. Mm-hmm. And then the cap space, I mean, it's the NFL. The Saints haven't had cap space for 10 years and somehow <laughs> signed a big free agent every year. Like they, you could figure that out. Right. So I don't think it's a bad job at all. And clearly ownership is loyalty. Their coaches, they give coaches like whatever power they want. So it's a good job there too. And I, I really think Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I, I think I ranked him in the top five before the yeah. season. And he's he was, due. He he's fourth. Right? No, he was, yeah, he was fourth. And he's on this. He's like on a Hall of Fame track already. Like he's put up his numbers through his first three or four years are just ridiculous. And he's done this in a Bill O'Brien offense. So if you think Bill O'Brien's a coach or a bad coach, then you, I think you have to think highly of Deshaun, the fact that he's able to do this in that offense. Imagine him in an offense that makes things easier on a quarterback because this Texans offense does the opposite. Like they don't use a lot of play action. They don't use like a lot of motion or anything. They don't use a lot of trying to think of like rollout plays, which you would expect to use with a guy like uh, Watson there are a lot of things they don't do that make things easier on a quarterback. 
So his job is really hard. Like Patrick Mahomes is great and he makes these crazy throws, but Andy Reid makes his job so much easier. Like he's right. throwing at wide open guys all the time. Right. He has these plays where he could flip an underhand to a fullback and it ends up as a touchdown. Do you know what would happen if Bill O'Brien tried to design a, a underhand throw to a fullback? <laughs> uh, it, would, it would go poorly. It would yeah. go poorly. So, yeah, I, I think Deshaun Watson – I, if he was with a coach that made things easier on him, we'd be talking about him the same way we talk about Mahomes and the same way we talk about Lamar. I think he's that good. Right. Uh, and he's also on a fairly team-friendly deal. I mean, he is signed now. That that part of it is behind. You know, you know that you have him and the deal is okay and you know what money you have to spend. Uh, so it's really not a bad job at all. Um, who... If you were making the decision, what, which who who are you calling first to take over this this team? Who? Uh, I don't know. I would have to flip a coin between Eric Bieniemy and Brian Dayball. Although I do worry about them just being coordinated coordinators, like great coordinators, but not great head coaches, which is always an issue with any coach. It doesn't have anything to do with them specifically, but though, I think those would be the first two guys. I think you got to get a guy that's going to make things easier on your quarterback. And I already mentioned the chiefs offense and the bills are doing the same thing for Josh Allen. Like he's do, not doing a lot of thinking either. They're just highlighting his strengths and not asking him, him to do too much. I think Dayball would actually be able to do a lot more with Deshaun Watson just because I think he's a smarter quarterback. I'm not even trying to like insult Josh Allen with that. Deshaun Watson is really one of the smartest young quarterbacks in the league right now. Right. But those are the two guys, I think. Or I would go, like, give Lincoln Riley a call, honestly. Yeah, of course. Of course. I would go Lincoln Riley. I mean, they're I, one and two right now. Maybe he wants to get I, out of there. Yeah, get out of college. What happens to Bill O'Brien? I mean, that's, uh, you know, he. Uh, obviously wanted the power it, in Houston and pushed for it, which is probably something of a red flag if you're thinking about hiring him as your offensive coordinator or whatever. But uh, he has had some – I mean, he's from the Belichick coaching line. He's He coached good offenses there. Uh, what, what's next like for him? The, like, I feel like he gets a little too much credit for being a Belichick guy. He was <laughs> barely there. He was there for like two years. That's, that's plenty of time. Is he a Belichick guy? I don't know if he really is. It, but I, 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 I understand why Belichick would want to claim him because he's like the only one that's actually had any type of success. But uh, I think he, you, I think he's just got to go back to college at this point and you know earn his way back to the NFL. I don't think anyone's going to hire him. I say that, but uh, they hired Adam Gase, so I don't know. That's that's a good point. Uh, Dable is actually from the the Belichick tree, that's isn't true. he? And, and yeah. did he was he an assistant for Saban way back in the day too? I mean, I think not even way back in the day. It was like three years ago. I think uh, Michael Oxley replaced. Oh, and I'll, I th- I think we, even when he was younger, he was at Michigan State. I think. Oh, I think that, that sounds right. So so yeah, he's got some he's got some pretty pretty good pedigree. But yeah, he was he was Alabama's offense coordinator in 2017. Um, so he's. Definitely got some got some pedigree, uh, and it's showing. Man, that team is is really good this year. Um, let's jump more Patriots, man. Everything's about the Patriots. Let's talk about Belichick's uh, game plan against the Chiefs and and how it actually went. The Chiefs ended up winning this game. What was the final twenty six to ten? But there was a um, an interception return that sort of put it out of reach because the Patriots were playing 
uh, just absolute reruns at quarterback and Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer. Uh, you know, it was it was not not a good situation, not a not a situation that you want as a head coach. But the defense that Belichick did dial up, I think, maybe even exceeded. You were you were sort of sketching this out ahead of time, how this was going to go, and what what exactly the Patriots would do, and how they would match up. And you have a ter- terrific post that sort of breaks down the evolution of how Belichick has tried to defend Mahomes over his career. And Mahomes is very good against the blitz, so Belichick figured that out and and stopped doing it, and and, and he took that to a to another level this time around. He, right. he, he pulled back even further and figured out that that's the way to uh, attack this offense. And specifically, he was dropping guys into the middle of the field to take away crossers. So tell me what you saw when you looked at this film. And this this is included in – Stephen does a post each week uh, that we call the cut-up – call week week you know nfl week four cut-ups uh, on our site and he's offering you you know he's cutting up every play that fits a certain you know trend or theme that he's looking at and so you can find that here but tell me what you saw when you went through this film so i think i've written like a guess what belichick is going to do for this offense post a couple times in my time at FTW, probably like five times. And I think this is the closest I've ever gotten to nailing it. Wow. You're, you're in Belichick's head, man. It's happening. You're, you're melding. I will say that it was probably easy to do because it was just like play a bunch of man coverage, which we knew they were going to do. But he didn't blitz at all. Like I'm looking it up. They blitzed three times. Oh, my gosh. Three times out of 35. So right. I got and that right. Mahomes torched the Ravens on blitzes. blitzes. Right week before so blitches is that a was that a Freudian slip <laughs> i don't know it's you know baltimore that's how we say it here <laughs> so uh yeah he didn't blitz and he rushed three a lot like they dropped a lot of guys uh and they they tweaked some of their their man coverage stuff to make it easier to kind of cut off crossers and like one thing you could really see is they were really guarded against that wasp route that became famous in the Super Bowl, but before it became famous in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs had kind of killed the the Patriots with it because of how the Patriots play their coverages, where they're usually playing man coverage with one safety deep in the middle. So the Wasp route kind of makes sense for that because you're you're kind of running a post route at the the middle of the field safety, and then you're breaking it back outside. So you're running away from the coverage. And then one thing the Patriots were doing, they were having the cornerback kind of overplay the over route. And if and the the free safety would kind of overplay the the wasp route, like breaking it back outside. So they had two guys kind of bracketing that. So you couldn't really beat them on that. And they changed the way they play man coverage because they usually play outside leverage with the cornerback on on the inside receiver because he's closest to the middle of the field defender. So you're going to play outside because you have help inside. This time they actually got beat on it on the first third down, like. I think it was uh, Tyreek Hill ran a, a crossing route and got open because he just ran away from the cornerback who was playing outside leverage. It's easier to run away from him. So the next drive, they put they had the cornerback play inside and he could kind of like cut off that crossing route. And they obviously, like I said, they had the safety kind of overplaying the outside. So they had help on both sides. And that was that was really one of the, the curveballs they threw at Mahomes. And then the, the three-man rush – the extra guys they had underneath 
would just like collision the underneath route runners. They would just like hit them, knock them on the ground, disrupt their routes. And that kind of threw off Mahomes' timing and where he was reading and his progression. So they did a lot of that stuff to kind of just mess with Mahomes and like take away things that he thought would be there. And they, they weren't there. And he held the ball a little long. And he really didn't do too much damage as a scrambler. I think he had one play where he kind of got outside the pocket and ran for a first down. But he scrambled a decent amount of times. He just they just weren't very successful. They weren't moving the chain. So they solved all the issues that the Chiefs offense presents. And I think they would have won the game if they had a quarterback. Right. Yeah, no no question. I mean, you have a you have a a little still frame in here of the all twenty two and Mahomes is, you know, hitting the last step of his drop and he's looking downfield and it's just astonishing how no one is open and not only that but there are like multiple patriots around every receiver uh, and this is you know this is Andy Reed like you said Reed Reed schemes people open from Mahomes has tremendous arm talent we all know that but the, it's it's hard to overstate how much Reed makes this job easier cuz uh Patrick Mahomes has a negative completion percentage over expectation this this year uh and he's he hasn't been as good as he's been in years past throwing the ball, he's a little bit off and he's been under pressure. But a lot of that's just Andy Reid. Like Andy Reid schemes up stuff that's right. so open that, uh, that you know, that that model sort of says, well, that's right. an easy throw. If he uh, misses any throws, he really takes a hit. And right. speaking of that screen, like that screenshot that I have in the post, like basically sums up everything I just said. I, it's hard to explain over like a podcast, right. but look at that photo and it explains everything. They're playing man coverage. They're playing with one safety deep. You could see Stefan Gilmore with that inside leverage against the crossing route. You right. could they're rushing only three. You could see the two underneath defenders kind of free. And then you can also see, I think it's Travis Kelsey is on the ground because he just got knocked over by a linebacker. So it's all in that one image. It just explains what they did against the Chiefs on third down perfectly. Right. Right. And I did not mean to do that, by the way. I just noticed it now. Impressive. Impressive. Um, all right. Let's bring it in. Let's let's discuss uh, Stephen's lack of train knowledge now with Charles <laughs> as we uh, as we take a look at some fantasy football decisions you might have to make coming up this week. The counter. Okay, now we head up to New York. Stephen and I hopping on the virtual Amtrak to visit with our friend Charles Curtis, uh, the fantasy guru dad joke master of for the win chaza what's up man did you take the virtual acela because i feel like that's too expensive for us so i think definitely the, the yeah no that's track that, that was that was uh they put the kibosh on that and uh steven insisted we sit on the quiet car because he doesn't want to <laughs> i don't even i don't even get these train references i've never been on a train i don't think i'm <laughs> 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 not 70 years old <laughs> even how, how do you get to new york but if you went to New York tomorrow, how would you get there? Would you drive a car? I'd bus it like a common person. <laughs> Not some fancy aristocrat taking a train. Oh, man. Just ruining the environment. This, man, what? Trains are better for the environment. What are you that talking take about? right there. That's a bad I, take. I, I didn't. I'm assuming you guys are taking like a coal-powered train. I I give that take. I rate that take a uh, Bill O'Brien. Steven, I don't know about trains or the environment for that matter. That's that has become clear in the minute that we've been talking. Uh, We are went off the rails right here. Oh no, no, we set them up. We set them up for it. 
terrible dad joke. We are here to uh, to do studs, duds, and sleepers. Charles writes this every week uh, for our website, for the win, ftw.usa today. You can find it there. He's going to pick one of each. Steven will rate that pick based on his opinion of it. He rates it on a scale of good coach to bad coach, um, and it's lovely. So, Charles... Let's start off with your stud for the week. This is where I get to make up for my mistakes. So anyone listening who has read my week five studs, duds, and sleepers column, I put Kenyon Drake this week as a stud. And it's because on Wednesdays, usually, I've and I kid you not, I've woken up in the middle of the night on a Tuesday and occasionally maybe made a few fantasy free agent pickups after waivers have cleared. So you don't lose your waiver priority, which is nuts. But that's how I win some leagues. The point of this is that I wrote on Wednesday that Kenyon Drake was a stud. And then I, maybe an hour or two later, I went back and I was like, what am I talking about? Like Kenyon Drake might just lose his job this week. So I would like to atone. I would like to say the Cardinals running game this week <laughs> is a stud. I think this is the week where Chase Edmonds takes over. Maybe Kenyon Drake has like a decent day, um, but I, I should have put in Chase Edmonds. They're facing the Jets. The Jets defense isn't terrible, terrible. They're bad, but they're not like the worst in the league. So, but I think they're, they're going to just salt away the game. So I imagine that Edmonds and or Drake will have a good day. I feel like you already criticized your, your pick already. Like I don't have any work to do. <laughs> and I used to, I wrote this, this column like a couple years ago. So I know yeah, yeah. what it's like to write it. And I, I, I know sometimes you just throw in a name there and just, just to get the column over with, just to get to five people. <laughs> so I'm with you on that one. So I'm going to give this a Adam Gase oh. where you're like, you make it seem like you're doing more work than you are, but you're really just, you know, you're just naming guys. <laughs> Cause that's what you do with Drake. That's it. My eyes that's are amazing. wide open right now. And just like, <laughs> like it. yeah. Uh, who's your dud, Charles? Let's let's talk about the Los Angeles Rams in general from a fantasy perspective. I put Tyler Higby as a dud this week, and it's more just a general dudness with him because going into the year, Higby was a top 10 tight end in drafts, and everyone thought that his big, amazing end of the year last year would carry over into this year, and it's not happened. He hasn't gotten more than five looks in a game. Gerald Everett is, is taking away some work, and generally just the Rams offense is run-heavy and – Jared Goff isn't throwing that far down the field. And so you're seeing like Robert Woods take a hit and Cooper Cup take a hit and uh, Higby take a hit as well. So Dud's all around. I think they'll they'll have a good game this week as a team against Washington. But I'm just a little concerned about Higby, uh, alarmed, I should say, about his his volume. I'm going to give this a Bill Belichick because I any Tyler Higby slander is is fine by me. If if you don't know why, go look up his Wikipedia page and you'll figure it out. Wow, <laughs> not a very good person. Turns out. Oh no! Did I not Big Nick Bosa energy on on that Higby guy. Um, Big Riley Cooper energy. No, uh, no, no good. No good. Uh, who's your sleeper then, Charles? I'll pick. I have two that I want to like hear Steven and your thoughts on. Uh, but I'll start with. Yeah, I think I'll go with the less obvious one. Antonio Gibson has started picking up the work. And this week he has to deal with a quarterback change in Washington. But he has, he's gone from like. 11, 12 carries and touches. And last week he had a huge week fantasy wise. 
And I just see them feeding him the ball a lot. And maybe uh, Kyle Allen starts tossing the rock to him more often out of the backfield like he did for Christian McCaffrey. So I have him as a sleeper. I think big volume this week. And we start declaring that Antonio Gibson is an RB2 with upside. Did we just get a Kyle Allen made Christian McCaffrey take in there? <laughs> I heard. He, did, he, he threw them the ball a lot. It, that doesn't necessarily make Christian McCaffrey, but, you know, volume counts for something. Uh, uh, who, do, who, who does Washington play this week? I should probably the Rams. The Rams. Oh, yeah, this is a, this is a bad take. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I would not trust the uh, Washington running back against the Rams. I think they're going to get blown out, and he's not going to get a lot of opportunities, I'd say. Which coach is it then? Uh, uh, I can't even use Bill O'Brien anymore. He's been fired. <laughs> well, I already gave that to you as well. So I, uh, I already I'll go Romeo Cornell then. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the, the other guy I was going to d- try to discuss was Debo Samuel. Does that earn more? You know, I just think Debo Samuel's breakout is about to happen this week. So, Oh, yeah. like The Debo pick is way better in my opinion. But is Antonio, is Gibson even a sleeper at this point? I feel like the He's, fantasy people are raving about him. Yeah, I would say that he he's like one of these running backs. I, I did a list a few weeks ago. I must have mentioned this to you guys before, but where I list like all the putrid, awful, terrible running back situations in the NFL for fantasy purposes, and Gibson is like one of the shining examples. So yeah, he's probably moving out of sleeper territory. But when I pick a sleeper during the week, it's sort of a guy who isn't necessarily in your top twenty running backs for the week and who could outperform that ranking. So that's kind of where my mentality is with a quote unquote sleeper. If you want right, to go that, deep dive, you know, that's different. No, that works for me because, like I said, I, I remember writing this post, and <laughs> it's very hard to put together this list every week. So I empathize. All right. I'm, 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 glad to, obvious, you know, and pick, I'm, pick I'm, like, everybody's scared pick. I'm glad we could end on a happy note, uh, reconciliation after the little train fight we had earlier. Um, so, but I feel like we learned a lot about studs, dud sleepers, and Steven's lack of knowledge about the environment and what exactly is destroying it and what's not but uh it was a good segment thanks for joining us charles thanks guys (laughs) take care man the counter all right always good to check in with our buddy charles and get some takes on the fantasy football let's turn now to the games for the week it is not a super scintillating week of nfl football uh, according to the schedule Tonight, the Buccaneers and Bears will play. Um, we, we are recording this Thursday afternoon. Not sure when it will drop. It'll get to you at some point, either Thursday evening or Friday morning. Uh, but uh, we just we just went over Tom Brady, so you can you can you can use the knowledge that Stephen has imparted as you as you check out this offense. Probably tear apart the Bears, although Tampa's only a three point. Favorite in this? Uh, I assume that you took the Bucks. I did take the Bucks. I took. I, I took the. If I was allowed to bet, I would have taken the Colts last week too. That was an easy win over the Bears. Right. Um, so yeah, the Bears did. Uh, they they have not solved their quarterback issue <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. We're probably going to see some platooning of Trubisky and Foles, which is what everyone worried about all summer after that move was made. That these two guys would just get stuck in a rotation. Uh, but that is the Thursday night game 
as we said next week man there there's the the Chiefs Bills game as the that's that's the thing is it's already being talked about being moved this is a rare it could have been a rare Thursday night must watch game and the thing is like these two teams none of those two teams really have guys that are testing pot like they don't have a problem why don't we just cancel right. the game this weekend and let those two teams play on Thursday because that's the game everyone wants to watch yeah let let Thursday be great do we need to see Bills Titans D- I've been saying this on Twitter. Do we need the Titans in the NFL? <laughs> you can't just erase an entire franchise. Yeah, yeah I sure as hell can. <laughs> name one, name one memorable che- uh, Titans game from the last twenty years. Uh, all of the ones that Kerry Collins played in. <laughs> Penn State legend Kerry Collins. That's uh, that's my answer for you. Uh, Colts Browns. That's I'm excited for this game, actually. You're excited for this game? And I know that you are – the Colts are the team that certainly you felt really good about coming into the season. I think we thought that they were going to be pretty good. And now it's sort of been like uh, they lost week one, and then since then they've been pretty good. And so it's like what what – what what is this team really? And I know you took a little bit of a closer look, and you know we we talked about their defense in our last show that uh, it's ranked very highly in every EPA uh, number one wow. in EPA, one number one in DVOA. Right. I mean, so all these all these metrics that take you behind the scenes show that this team is this defense is really good. But then you watch the film, and it probably is not that great. But it'll be an interesting test against the Browns, who have. Seem to figure out how to use Baker Mayfield, you know, <laughs> by not using him. Yeah, by not by by limiting him, um, by letting Jarvis Landry throw the football and letting just handing the ball to Odell Beckham and saying run. Right. Uh, but but it's working. So this is an interesting matchup. By the way, I watched that that game and Baker Mayfield left so many plays on the field. Like Odell Beckham could have had like 250 yards total. It was very like he wasn't throwing it to him when he was wide open. He missed a throw late in the game that would have been like a 70-yard touchdown. It Baker was not good. Yeah. And but I want to talk about the Colts. Okay. They are fourth overall in DVOA. So this is apparently one of the best teams in in football, which I'm not surprised by. I was like you said I was very high on the Colts. Right. But yeah, like you said, I'm not the defense is good. They're very solid. There's no weaknesses. They don't give up anything easy. DeForest Buckner is as good as you they expected him to be. Right. My thing is they're very well coached, but I don't think they have that next level they could go to against a team like the Chiefs or even the Ravens, where we've seen the Patriots defense do this. We've seen the 49ers defense do this last year in the Super Bowl, where they are just so dominant in one area. With the 49ers, it was rushing the passer. With the Patriots, it's the secondary. The Colts don't really have that. They're like a team defense where there's not like clear weak links, but there's not clear, clearly something they're really good at. And that's why I don't think it's going to be an elite defense all season. It's going to work against 95% of the teams, but the great offenses are going to give them problems. But here's why I have hope for them and why I think they'll hang around the same spot in DVOA all year. And I mean overall DVOA, not defensive DVOA. And that's because their offense has not been good. They are 24th in DVOA on offense. But I don't think that's a personnel problem because Phillip Rivers has been very good. His EPA numbers are very good, too. I think he's – let me just get the exact number. They are – 
their dropback EPA on passing plays, they're sixth. Okay. And they have a success rate that ranks uh, ninth. But their rush EPA, they're one of the worst running teams in the league, which doesn't really make sense with them because they have this great offensive line. Right. But they are 30, 28th in rush EPA, and they are 28th in success rate. And they have been one of the most run-heavy teams on early downs this season, which is kind of a departure from what we've seen from Frank Reich before. So I think that eventually they're going to figure that out. I actually have where they rank. They are the 30, I think they're 28th in early down run rate when you kind of like neutralize the situation for like the score. They are 28th. So they're running the ball a lot. And I think once they figure out that balance and they start letting Phillip Rivers throw more on early downs, their offensive DVOA is going to shoot up and it will make up for whatever they lose in defensive DVOA over the next month or so. So I do think this is a great team that's going to be top 10 all year. And I just want to see them throw the ball more, like let Phillip Rivers throw the ball. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought in Phillip Rivers to do just that. And you know, he's not, he's, he's Phillip Rivers. We know what he is. And like sort of quarterback that you want throwing the ball on first down, because he's just going to make a smart decision and, and move the ball four five, six yards. Uh, So, Let's let's see it. Let Philip cook. Well, who'd you pick? Who'd you pick in this game? I'm picking the Colts. I, I am way more impressed by the Colts. I've watched both teams. Uh, the Browns, like everyone's uh, celebrating their offensive line. I really think it was the running backs that did a lot of that work against the the Cowboys. And I have that in the cut up. Like they broke a lot of tackles. Right. And I think they had 211 yards after contact, according to PFF, and they had like 299 yards rushing in that game. So the running backs did a lot of work. And I think the Colts defense is more is definitely better than the Cowboys. And it's more structurally better and it's more sound. And just, there's not going to be those open gaps to run through. So I think Baker Mayfield is going to have to actually play quarterback this week, which he hasn't had to do in like three weeks. And I don't know if it's going to work out for him. I think it's going to tell us a lot about both teams, but I'm expecting the Colts to win this one. And after this week, we're kind of kind of going to start talking about the Colts as one of the best teams in the AFC, whereas we're going to realize that Cleveland is one of these teams that might make a wild card spot, but they're probably like an eight and eight, nine and seven type of team. Right. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk Bills Titans. Even though we think it's going to get moved, uh, probably won't happen, but. And actually, I the the betting site I'm looking at the the betting line has disappeared. <laughs> so obviously, Las Vegas is concerned about this game as well. Um, but if if this were to go on as planned Sunday, it almost certainly will not. Uh, but is, is Josh Allen up to the task against this Titans team? Well, since I know it's not going to backfire on me, I'm going to say no. He was going to have the worst game of his career. He's going to throw seven interceptions. No, t- no. I, I, I actually think the Titans would have given them a tough challenge, and it would have. If he would have played well against the Titans, I would have gladly taken my L and been like, okay, he's a different quarterback. But, uh, I, yeah, I would have picked the Bills in this one because I do think they their defense is capable of taking away what Ryan Tannehill does best and what that offense does best, which is play action passing. I think they would have been more disciplined against that. We've seen them have success against similar teams that throw a lot of play action. Like the Ravens last year, they had a lot of success against Lamar Jackson. They were one of the few teams that did. So I think the bills would have won. 
it may have looked a little harder for Josh Allen, but I still think he would have had a good game because Brian Dayball has just been so good. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, another game that the Patriots, you know, do have the positives with Cam and Svon Gilmore. So I think the betting line on that has also been removed on the side I'm looking at. They play the Broncos. Uh, man, we got a lot of Drew Locks so <laughs> back in this game, don't we? Uh, but what, what's your thought on this briefly, just in case this one goes as planned? Including maybe the real Drew Locke, because he practiced. Oh, apparently. Drew so Drew Locke could be back in the lineup replacing Drew Locke. Uh, I think the Patriots were still going to win this game. I don't know who would have started at quarterback. I, both of them are bad, bad options. Like I love that we got to see Stidham play. The best part of the first half was like everyone tweeting out how bad was Jared Stidham. I think I saw like a million variations of that same tweet because Brian Hoyer was so bad, and Hoyer's obviously keeping him on the bench. Right. But when Stoyer came uh, – Stoyer? Oh, my God. That's like <laughs> the worst quarterback ever. <laughs> no more Drew, we're not calling anyone Drew Locke anymore. We're calling them Stoyer. They're all Stoyers. Uh, he was bad. Like, Hoyer had these terrible low moments where he fumbled the ball or didn't get rid of the ball and took horrible sacks and threw bad interceptions. But Hoyer – God, I can't separate the two. Stidham just looked bad all around. Like once he got the ball in the pocket, he just immediately panicked. I know he he threw the one touchdown and it was a good pass, but after that, it was just all downhill from there. And he threw a bad interception. His second interception wasn't really his fault, or his first where Edelman dropped the ball. Right. But his process was just. It was worse than what I expected. To be honest, he was worse than I expected, and I have been very critical of Jared Stidham. Yeah. That's that's I, that's amazing. The fact that he somehow did not live up to your expectations. Which but big props to the Patriots coaching staff who have a future in PR work if they if they want to go that route because they convinced every beat writer in New England that's Jared that they thought Jared Sidham was good. <laughs> you gotta listen to Bill Belichick, man. I mean, most <laughs> most coaches you can just you can just discard most of what they say but bill belichick is uh he's won a lot of super bowls so got some it's got got some cachet another game that vegas is waffling on because uh lamar jackson has been dealing with a knee injury i don't think he practiced today but jason lockenfora of cbs uh is reporting that lamar jackson is going to play against the bagel bengals sunday at one i'm sure the ravens will go back to being a heavy favorite if that is the case uh any thoughts on this game uh, no, my thought is that Joe Burrow is has looked pretty good for a rookie. He's looked really good for a rookie, but he is the most boring quarterback to watch in the <laughs> league right now. Like every Bengals drive takes 15 plays. <laughs> Everyone, it doesn't matter if they score or if they end up punting. Every every drive is a 15 play drive, and it's just. I mean, it's good for him that he's boring as a rookie because he's like doing all the right things. He's making a lot of the right reads. He just doesn't have the arm to like really wow you and excite you like Justin Herbert I think Burrow is going to be a far better quarterback than Justin Herbert throughout his career but Justin Herbert is fun to watch right I would much rather be a Chargers fan right now watching Herbert than a Bengals fan watching him throw five yard hitches all the way down the field you know this this criticism that you're uh, laying out there could also probably be made of like Tom Brady when he was with the with the New England Patriots, man. That's true, a lot, but a lot of 15 play drives. 
Yeah, but Tom Brady also had like that era when he was just bombing it downfield to Randy Moss. So he we at least showed that he has that in him. We haven't seen it from Burrow at the NFL level yet. So let's pump the brakes on the Brady com- comparison. I, I need you. I need you to ad- admire efficiency, man. I need no. you to just. I already forgot who they're playing. Oh, the Ravens. <laughs> A part of me kind of wants Lamar to sit out this one game just so I could see RG three start a game in twenty twenty. I'd really like to see that. Uh well he has he's gotten in quite a few times because the Ravens run the ball up run the score up on people but uh it has not looked great so I do not want to see that who do you who you who would you pick in a Bengals Ravens game where RG three is starting uh I would pick that uh RG three would suffer some minor <laughs> I don't want him to get really hurt uh and then. I just want to, I want to check the Ravens depth chart just to to be sure I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, yes, and then Trace McSorley. Oh my God, I knew it! I knew yeah. it right when you said depth chart. Yeah, Trace McSorley, who a leader not, of men, could not even pass the ball in college uh, with any consistency. He, he was the best passer in college if it's if it was like three seconds left in the game. And they had to win. He, he was good at that, but you you don't actually want a quarterback who puts you in that position repeatedly. So I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I there has been a time in my life where I feared Trace McSorley. What? I think it was the Ohio State game that they ended up losing. They got I think they got stuffed on fourth down. Okay. I had a lot of money riding on that game. Like I had done like a parlay. It was like a 17 parlay, and I just needed Ohio State to win to win like. <laughs> Hundreds of dollars. And uh, Trace McSorley was like converting every third down he threw. And James Franklin kept like running the ball and taking it out of his hands. And I was relieved every time Trace yeah. McSorley didn't drop back to pass. You got to, you should send a thank you note to, to Franklin. Uh, so you're picking the Ravens in this one, I'm sure. Yes. No matter uh, who is starting that quarterback. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's buzz through some of these other games that are happening. Uh, Eagles Steelers battle of Pennsylvania. Steelers are a seven point favorite. That is that is just disrespectful to the NFC East leading Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. I cannot believe this line. Uh, what is your take? We're on. Uh, is Ben washed? Watch. I think this is a game where we figured that out. Actually, the. Say what you want about the Eagles, but they do have a good defensive line. That's been like the bright spot of the team so far this year. And I think they're going to like give Ben Roethlisberger in that very short conservative passing game some problems. Although there might be a lot of Nate Gary involved. I'm not sure how that's going to go for Philly, but I think they could give Ben some problems and make him look a little washed. I'm picking, I think the Eagles might actually cover this one, but the Steelers are probably going to win. Uh, Panthers Falcons in a game of just tight Titans, just two <laughs> AFC South teams just battling it out. The Panthers two and two, the Falcons zero and four. I want you to talk about this game for exactly seventeen seconds, and if you try to go any more than that, I'm cutting your mic. I'm picking the Falcons because they have a very good passing game, and they're going up against a very bad. Uh, Secondary Panthers defense has been better in recent weeks, but I think that was fake, and we're, we're going to really see how bad they are this week. Oh boy, that's interesting. That's, I kind of wish I would have given you more time because I want you to expand on those thoughts. But no, that's we, all the time that game deserves. We have other games to get to. Uh, Chiefs Raiders. Chiefs are a twelve point favorite in this one. Not big enough. Wow, not big enough. Like 
people are probably going to start saying like, oh, there's a blueprint out there to stop Mahomes. The blueprint is either having the, the Chargers defensive line or the Patriots secondary. The Raiders don't have any, either of those. <laughs> so I'm expecting Patrick Mahomes just to go off. And Derek Carr, for some reason, probably because of the fact that he's bad against good teams, cannot play against the Chiefs. He just plays his worst games against them. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is a 20-point game. Cardinals, Jets, Arizona's a seven-point favorite in this one. I don't want to talk about this game. Like, I'm depressed with what's going on with the Cardinals' offense right now. They're kind of letting me down. Hopefully, they make it up to me this week and have a great game against the Jets. But I'm skeptical. And I'm starting to become skeptical of this, of the the Cliff Kingsbury offense. I'm just going to say it. I don't think he's evolved enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you pointed out, and I think that was the Monday take dump that you mentioned that they just are not letting Murray throw nearly enough, uh, mm-hmm. not, not giving him downfield. Target. Too much scheming, like too much bubble screens, too many RPOs, like just it's inflating their, their run pass splits on first down. So it's making it look like they're passing a lot on first down, but I would not include those in passing numbers. Those are extended handoffs. Right, exactly. Uh, Rams versus the football team. Rams are a touchdown favorite. Yeah, I don't think Kyle Allen's going to figure out that uh, solve that offense's problems at all. I don't think it was on Dwayne Haskins. I watched that Ravens game and I thought I I watched his negative plays and I really don't think it was on him at all. He's not getting a lot of help. He has accuracy problems. I'm not denying that he makes some bad decisions, but he looks like a first round quarterback who's still learning how to play, which is what he is. He only started one year in college and he has 11 starts in the NFL. Like I don't understand pulling the plug this early. I I think the Rams are just going to run wild against that that team to be honest there's absolutely nothing to be gained by the football team not at all to uh pull haskins at this point i mean i I don't know if the coaches think he needs to sit a little bit and i i mean what is he gonna learn from kyle allen like it's just not there's no there's no logic behind this move at all for a team that i mean other than the, the the washington football team which is historically uh, tone deaf to what they, what they actually are. You know, like that's the only explanation is that they think that because the NFC East is so bad that they can get into the playoffs and somehow that would matter uh, (laughs) when it would be so much more important for them to actually develop Haskins. Or if they find out he's not the guy, then they, uh, they can go a different direction, but that's, that's a much more important thing to be figuring out right now than, Oh, maybe Kyle Allen can jump in and get us going. One um, one way where 2020 is an improvement over 2019 is at this time last year we were reading is Kyle Allen the future in Carolina articles <laughs> right now. Sounds bad. Uh, Jags Texans. <laughs> the Texans are a six point favorite. <laughs> the week after firing their coach, you don't you don't see that so often, but uh, they are facing crazy Gardner Minshew and the. Jaguars. So, uh, what's your take on this one? Uh, I'm actually picking the Texans, and I don't have any good reason for that other than Deshaun Watson is very good at football, and no one on the Jaguars is as good at football as Deshaun Watson is, and he plays the most important position. So, I'm expecting the Texans to to win this game. I don't know if they're going to cover, but I think they will win it. It might be close. So, maybe Jaguars to cover, Texans to win. Fair, fair, fair. Dolphins, Niners, San Francisco is a nine-point favorite. I think Jimmy G might be playing, which I don't – I mean, it changes things. I don't – he's better at making throws. Like Nick Mullins just missed a lot of 
open throws last week. Uh, I'm, I don't understand the Dolphins. Why are they playing Ryan Fitzpatrick still? It's the equivalent of playing Kyle Allen. I really don't get it. Play Tua. You need to know if you need to draft a quarterback next year. You need to know what he is. If he's, and you can tell, I think you can tell after a year whether a guy's going to be special or whether he's going to be, his ceiling is just an average quarterback or whether he's probably not going to make it at all. I, I really think you can tell after a year. So I don't see why they're wasting their time and not gathering more information. Right. That's a smart play at this point. Uh, Giants, Cowboys, battle of the NFC East is <laughs> huge. So this is this has got to be it for this Jason Garrett offense. Like if you can't do anything against this Cowboys defense, then are they going to score a touchdown for the rest of the year? Like they haven't scored. <laughs> since, I don't think Daniel Jones has thrown a touchdown since week one. Oh, it's it's grim and it's grim for the Giants, man. But I, anyway, I don't see even if they have some success against the defense, I don't see any way where they keep up with Dak Prescott and that offense and how it's playing. Yeah. I mean, I think the Giants, I think the Cowboys went big here and, and roar into first place in the NFL. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a tough thing to do, but they're, they're going to pull it out. Vikings, Seahawks, uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are seven point favorite. I think this is a, a good game. I'm excited to watch this game. I wish I had done more research into it so I could have talked more about it, but I really, <sighs> I want to see Kirk Cousins have a good game. If he does not have a good game, then I'm out on these Vikings. If they play this game close, I think they really have a chance of getting a wild card spot. And I think one thing to watch is Russ. Quietly not a great game in terms of, like we kind of saw old Russ creep out against the Dolphins where he was not really trusting the offense and kind of going into panic mode a little too early. Like Russell Wilson does this from time to time. It doesn't hurt him overall, but Game to game, like in individual games, sometimes it limits what that offense can do. I want to see if he busts out of that and gets back to the M- MVP form that we had seen the three weeks prior to that. Right. Uh, you included a little bit on Justin Jefferson, the rookie, rookie wide receiver for the Vikings, who is breaking out. Uh, and he was a guy that when you scouted him prior to the draft, you thought maybe he was not as explosive as some of the other guys. Uh, he was very good at sitting in zones. You know, he was yeah. playing LSU offense that, you know, made it, made it easy on everyone. But he was just sort of sitting down and Burrow was finding him. But you've been impressed in the way that he is uh, dealing with press coverage. You know, he's showing a little bit more time toughness he's showing a little bit more burst the things that you need to do to be able to get open at different times in your route uh, and make him a, fu- a fully uh, f- fully functional wide receiver at the NFL level you know be able to do everything yeah. and he's showing that so far and th- there are cut-ups of that in that post that you guys should check out because it it is interesting because it is it has been basically the last two games it was like he needed the first two to sort of figure it out and now and Kirk Cousins is back to having two really good wide receiver options and they're you know I, I feel like there's a lot of people ready to make excuses for cousins like well he lost digs and but now uh, he's throwing to uh, I mean the Carson Wentz would uh, you know topple over in shock if he had wide receivers <laughs> one tenth as good as those two guys Thielen and and Jeffrey so uh you know I mean it's it's that's, I mean, I think that's why you're saying that this game is will be interesting. The Vikings are one and three, um, but it, it should be an interesting game to watch. Um, that's all we got for today. Uh, we will preview the Monday night game, Chargers Saints. That exciting Justin. I'm go- I'm going to put a little French accent on it since he's playing New Orleans. <laughs> hey Bear. Uh, 
uh, going to up up against a resurgent Drew Brees. We'll talk about that in our episode dropping Monday, and obviously we will recap all of the happenings on Sunday. Uh, keep you up to date on whatever happens with the the coronavirus reshuffling as as that comes. Uh, you know, we're just going to be waiting for news. I think uh, you know, sort of the new world we live in, where every day we're waiting to see you know what the tests say and what the league decides. Uh, but that's sort of where we are. Um, you follow Stephen on Twitter. He'll be giving updates Sunday. He likes to tweet out some of his thoughts during the games uh, at the Stephen Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. Uh, come over to For the Win for some good posts. We grab any of the big plays of the day, buzzy stuff that's happening, big quotes. Andy Nesbitt does his funny awards at the end of the day. So uh, it's a good place to hang out on a Sunday as you are watching games and spending time with family or whatever you choose to do on Sunday. Steven, how do you want to close it out? You want to talk about your, your yearning to ride on a train? No, I want to say contract the Titans one more time. <laughs> I'm putting you on a train in Nashville. And that's probably a country song. Like, a, I don't even know, but uh train to Nashville and you, you can go out there and you can, you can yell that in the center of Nashville. I can hang out with uh, Clay Travis and uh, nope, Jason Whitlock. Nope, 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 nope. You can, you can not hang out with <laughs> Absolutely not. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us here on the counter. Take care. The counter an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 